You know, son, I used to do a podcast. You know, for the iPod. Oh, yeah, you probably don't remember a time before all our brains were instantly connected to Google. It's Dadverb, episode 12. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Dadverb. My name is Roger Williams. My guest in this episode is Justin Jackson, writer, speaker, project manager, digital product builder, podcast host, oh yeah, and father of four. I've been wanting a tagline for this broadcast, and my guest Justin Jackson helped me finalize it. And believe me, this dad has it in spades. I can't wait for this conversation. He talks so much about being an entrepreneur within your own organization. It's a really interesting interview. I hope you stick around. This is Justin Jackson on Dadverb, Dads with Hustle. Justin, how you doing? I'm doing well, Roger. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not really doing well. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Matt, you sound great, though. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So how was the weather there in Vernon? It's actually really nice today. I think, um, see, I always got to do the, the uh, translation because we're, we're, we always, we're in Celsius here, but high of 45 today Fahrenheit. Okay. Yep, so 33 uh, degrees Fahrenheit. Good skiing weather, right? Yeah, yeah, we've had a ton of snow. So it's a weird place because, like, right now the, you know, there's, most of my yard, for example, doesn't have any snow, and the grass is still green, but oh, you just wow. go 20 minutes up the mountain, God. and there's a ton. We've got a really good base up at Silver Star. Mm. I was, I've been sick, but I forced myself to go out with the fam on Sunday, and it was unreal conditions, just like lots of uh, dry powder, and yeah, we had a good time. Wow. So is there any snowboarding? Yeah, so uh, I have four kids, Yeah. and uh, my wife and I snowboard our oldest snowboards, and then our three youngest ski, just because it's a little bit harder to get uh, kids started snowboarding. Yeah. There's a lot of like, it's a lot of bad days when you're learning to snowboard. <laughs> There's like a lot of days on just on your butt, and it it's not very fun, and skiing, you can kind of just stand them up and get, get them going pretty fast. So they're skiing for now. We've got all the gear for, for snowboarding in a, in a former life in my early twenties, I owned a couple snowboard shops. And so I've got, I've got all this snowboard gear. Uh, but then I decided when we decided to get all of our kids into skiing, uh, we thought, okay, well, let's just get some ski gear and get them started a little bit easier. Oh, that's great. So how old are your kids now? Uh, so my oldest is 11, then 8, 5, and 4. Wow. That's quite yeah. a spread. Yeah. Yeah, it's busy, although we're, we're like just starting to feel see the light at the end of the tunnel <laughs> because the our youngest will be in kindergarten next year. Yeah. And uh, once, once that happens, then – and it's full-day kindergarten here. So once that happens, there's – you know, that's a lot more freedom. Yes. But uh, yeah, but it's really my wife that 
is like the hero because she she's basically been home full time for 11 years, right? Wow. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah, we've uh it's not it's pretty hard to do right now. I was just thinking about this the other day that the uh you know, the it, it, what's normal now is for there to be two working parents. Yeah. And quite honestly, like just having one is is it's a challenge. Like I make a really good living, but the the uh, w- when you're in a kind of a, a world that's built around having a dual income house, yeah, the one income for six people is definitely challenging. And I I read this stat the other day. I'll have to find it. I think it was in the Atlantic. Um, maybe while we're chatting, I'll find it. But yeah. it was basically said that since the '70s, I think uh, household income so. Uh, household income for a single income earning household has only increased 1%. And then for everyone else, so for dual income households, it's increased 25%. And ideally, it would have increased uh, 100%, right? Yeah. So if you added another income earning earner to, to every household, you'd think, well, that should double it. But it's only increased household income by 25%. And then for those of us still crazy enough to do just one income earner, are the statistically, as an average, that's only increased 1% since uh, the 70s. Mm-hmm. And we're feeling it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, just, it's, a lot, it's just a lot more challenging. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that have changed. Even with you know, the way housing has gone down a little bit, the, the biggest jump has been housing. Hmm. So again, I think I'm gonna have to find all these for your show notes. But the the rule in the '70s was you you buy a house that was twice your annual household income. Hmm. So if you were making 50 grand, you'd buy a house that was 100 grand. But and so housing has gone down depending on where you live uh, since the the boom. But it's hasn't gone down nearly that much. Uh, so most people are still doing three, four five times, you know, annual household income. Yeah. And, uh, that, that's, uh, another big jump. Wow. Yeah. I like talking about that stuff because yeah. I think some, I mean, in some sense, there's nothing we can do about it, but being able to recognize that, uh, you know, things have changed means you can have to be creative in in other ways to kind of hustle your way, uh, to where you want to be. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, are, are you familiar with uh, James Altucher? Uh, you know, I've heard his name a couple yeah. times, but I haven't actually like checked him out or anything. Yeah. He's uh, he's out in New York and he, he's on the board of a, um, a staffing agency. And so he predicts pretty much um, from now and till whenever that um, full-time employment is going down. I suppose as a product manager, you might see this. And that uh, people will have a choice as to whether they want to be a contractor or uh, do their own thing. What do you think? What do you see? Mm. There's kind of two sides to that. I mean, on one hand, so like for the last, well, ever since we've had kids, um, I've been working full time. The one thing that, the there, there's definitely not as many of these jobs, but the, if you can get full-time work, uh, 
there is something nice about that, especially if it's if it's good work, because uh, there's a stability in that. They they actually solve a lot of pains, uh, you know. So they're gonna solve your self your health insurance pain. Hopefully, they're gonna solve you know the regular cash flow pain. Um, so I think that's I think you know that there, there, maybe there's less of those jobs, but if you can find a good job, uh, and then kind of Every, what I've always done is I've tried to be entrepreneurial within the jobs I've had. So I'd get into a company and basically just work like crazy uh, and and kind of go into a lot of different uh, zones, uh, put my nose in a lot of different areas, and then try to uh, add value in a bunch of different spots. And that's that's been quite helpful. On the other hand, I think that everybody, no matter who you are, is going to need to be doing some sort of hustle on the side. Uh, one, because you never know when you're going to lose your job. And two, just because it's, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's going to be necessary. Like the, the, you know, there's a lot of people going to three quarters time, so you're not getting full time work anymore or part time or what have you. So ever since like, ever since I've ever had a job, I've always done stuff on the side just because I know that there's, there's no guarantees. You might, you know, I could lose my job tomorrow. And if that's the case, I want to have something on the back burner that I could fire up if I needed to. Yeah. All right. So let's get into that. So your uh, latest um, email post, which is interesting because it's not on your official blog, mm -hmm. but it's in the email list that I subscribe to. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, the title was, where do you find the time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you answered it a little bit. Yeah, but could you go into a little bit more specifics? Like, uh, what's what's your typical um workday like? Yeah, so I work nine to five Monday through Friday. Uh, I get an hour for lunch each day, and so it it really depends. Um. My my most productive time for side projects is on the weekends in the morning. So hmm. I'll wake up early on a Saturday. Wake How up, early? Wake up early on a Sunday. It really depends. Um, anywhere from 5 a.m., usually about 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. Okay. Um, and, and or it could be late at night. I, I, I prefer to like wake up early because there's just something about that. The whole house is sleeping. Yeah. It's just kind of easy to like get going. Um, but yeah, usually like 5 a.m., 6 a.m., get up, and I'll try to get in two to three hours of kind of really focused time. Hmm. Um, and normally what, I, I, what I've been trying to do, like especially lately, is on Friday night is write out, okay, what do I want to accomplish? Like what are the three things that I want to get done this weekend? And when you have that checklist of you know, for example, like let's say I wanted to write a chapter in a book, like I'm writing a book right now, so uh, I want to write a chapter over the weekend. Well, that means I'm going to have to uh, focus just on that. I'm going to have to, you know, eliminate every other distraction and just get that one thing done. And I know I only have, you know, two hours before the kids get up. And so I, I've really got to use that time, uh, you know, as wisely as possible. So that's one approach, um, and every usually during the week I'm just trying to find slots. So, like, 
if I have a free lunch hour and I'm not doing anything and I packed a lunch, I might just go to a coffee shop, uh, you know, and uh, bring my laptop and just work away for an hour focused in kind of the same way, like just no other distractions, like get there, say, okay, I've got 50 minutes to pound this thing out and do that. Uh, and then like at nighttime, sometimes I'll put the kids to bed at eight and it all depends. Like sometimes nights can be crazy, right? You're getting ready for the next day, but sometimes I'll still have some energy at around eight. And, uh, especially if I'm, if I'm inspired, I think that was one of my points is that inspiration mm-hmm. is like, there's nothing like inspiration to get a bunch of work done. And if I put the kids to bed and it's 8.30 and I feel like, you know, I've just got something burning in my head, like I got to write this or I got to build this thing, I I just ride that train as long as it goes. So there will be nights where, you know, I put the kids to bed, start working on this thing, and I don't get done till 3 or 4 in the morning. Mm-hmm. If it's an inspired time, I won't stop because that I could get more done in that time than I might get done in three months. So I, I've kind of learned that even though I might be hurting the next day, that it's it's best for me to just just stay on that task and just keep going while I've got the energy and the inspiration. Mm-hmm. When I try to go to bed during those times, like if I've got something in my head and I try to get go to sleep, I don't end up sleeping anyway. So it's better for me to just stay up and just uh, just kind of work on that stuff then. Hmm. So you've always been a writer. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know if I, that's a good question. Like I've always written, uh, I've been on the web for a long time. So mm-hmm. I was on the web, um, before, well, I was on the, I was on the internet before anyone else. I was on the internet before anyone else. Uh, so back when it was Usenet groups and you had to basically mm-hmm. tell net into a, a Unix server. Um, and then I remember when Mosaic came out and as soon as Mosaic came out, uh, I'd already been like helping, uh, people build bulletin boards and yeah. uh, things like that. And I liked like I like the public, like I like the idea that you could build something and a bunch of people could see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until Mosaic came out that I think that I I started writing things. So in high school and college, I had a little uh, uh, snowboard website and did music reviews and stuff on, like that on it. And then were you getting ad review or uh, ad revenue from that? Uh, mostly just like free CDs from. Uh, Mm-hmm. from uh different, different labels yeah. yeah yeah okay okay all right and when did you start making money on the web mm, i had a little web development company during college and so i was building websites for people okay. and made some money off that but didn't really like um and i i, I like i i had a few um, businesses on the side while I, so I, I mentioned I, I, I went into partnership on a couple snowboard shops mm. in my twenties. Um, but that ended up being not, a, not good, uh, because I was working full time, uh, mm-hmm. managing a, a business on the side with partners, um, ended up being a very costly mistake. I think I, I lost about 80 grand in that. Mm. 
and so then after that, I, I really said, okay, I'm not going to, I'm just going to be a full-time, you know, full-time work guy and I'm not going to really do anything, uh, you know, any sort of side business until basically until my kids are all in school. So hmm. it wasn't really until, uh, probably 2012 that I started to feel like, you know what, I can start doing more stuff on the side. Mm-hmm. And that was when I started writing more, uh, on my blog. I started to get an idea of who I wanted my audience to be, at least initially. Uh, and that was basically bootstrappers, people building digital products, uh, software products, things like mm-hmm. that. And so that's what you felt you were. And so you could, uh, you felt like part of that community. So that's the audience and the community you could serve. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of came from some criticism that Amy Hoy gave me. She, um, she started reading my blog and, um, had like mentioned that she'd liked a few things I'd written. And then I wrote a few other things that I was, I was really still hadn't really found what my focus was going to be. I was writing all sorts of stuff. And she mentioned, you know, your blog's kind of all over the place. Like, who's it actually for? And like a lot of people, I didn't really want to kind of nail that down. I wanted to, you know, write for everybody. And, um, but then I started saying, yeah, maybe I should kind of nail this down. And I'd always been, uh, interested in bootstrapping. Like that community always attracted me more than, uh, the venture funded community. Um, and I'd had a few experiences, um, in, uh, I went to, I went and hung out with the guys at 37 signals for a day and just got really into that, that whole community and started to feel like, you know, I think these are my people. And I also saw that there was a lot of, um, people I could help. There's, there's kind of a need for uh, a voice like mine, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so that's what, that's, that was my initial focus. I think the, the one thing is you can always, you can always add additional things later. And so one thing I've been thinking about lately is that I want to also start to talk to people that, uh, run and lead teams, uh, for software companies and web development companies. So I just started a new project called teambits.io that's mm. more focused on, uh, people running teams. Whereas my, personal blog, justinjackson.ca is more like solo founders and people wanting to bootstrap or start projects on the side. Perfect. I'm writing that down. Teambits.io. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just trying that out. It's just an experiment for mm-hmm. 2014, but, Perfect. um, I, I felt like, yeah, I want to, and also like, especially if you're trying to build products, uh, a lot of people kind of, um, there's like different markets, right? And usually like the, the advice that bootstrappers get is you want to market to businesses. So we call that B2B, right? Yeah. And there's a weird, uh, section that's right in between B2C and B2B, which is, like I said, solo founders, people who are trying to build products on the side, um, people that are looking to, you know, um, you know, they're not like a full-time business, but they're, you know, just kind of 
hustling on the side, basically. Yeah. And that's a big market. Um, but it, it's, it's generally people that are, you know, they're spending money, their own money. They might be expensing it as a, you know, some sort of tax write-off, but they don't have quite the spending power as, you know, someone with the company credit card. Right. And, uh, I think, you know, I want to help solo founders and people that are hustling on the side. Like those are folks that I can identify with and I want to help, but, I also want to uh, kind of expand the my potential customer base and look at companies too. And I think companies, there's so many opportunities. If anyone's ever worked for a company, uh, you know, there's so many, so much pain. There's so much, so many areas where companies need help. Uh, they're a little bit harder to market to because there's extremely hard to market to. <laughs> yeah, it all depends. You know, I, I think about myself a lot. Um, so we have a team of about 10 people and, uh, I was employee number five, I think. Uh, and I, I'm a guy that buys a lot of software and a lot of products for our team because mm-hmm. if it saves us money, I know how much our, how much it costs us every hour as a team. So if we have a, if I can add, for example, uh, project management software like Sprintly, if I can pay for that, and that might cost us whatever, I think it costs us $100 a month, that's a huge savings for us because every hour we save with something, a tool like that, we're saving thousands and thousands of dollars, right? Mm. Uh, so it all depends. You, you have to kind of find, that's, that's the question, right, is who the decision maker might be in a company. And I think with really big companies, finding that decision maker is a little bit more challenging, mm-hmm. but in teams where, you know, five, 10, 20, 30 people, uh, finding the decision maker might not be as hard. And when you can find that person, uh, and you can kind of show them that, you know, you can save them an hour or you can save them X number of dollars, um, that, that becomes a little bit of an easier sale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. So you, you as a team, you didn't uh, decide to go the uh, 37 signals route and create your own software? No, I mean, it all depends. Like, it, we create some software for ourselves, but that's like a, that's a really good way actually to get distracted. Uh, yeah. And so we're, we're focused on building email newsletter software for big organizations like health uh, organizations, universities, governments. And so we didn't want to get, we don't want to get distracted from that. We built some internal tools, but if, I mean, if you can spend a hundred dollars a month and, and have someone else manage all that for you, again, it's worth, that's worth thousands and thousands of dollars. Right. And the same goes, the same goes with, uh, like information products too. Um, I think a lot of information products get marketed to kind of solo founders and, you know, so like individuals, but there's a lot of value for a team. If you can teach uh, a team of people something, you know, give them a book or a resource and uh, have them do that when, you know, they're not busy at work or in their own time. Uh, Again, that's your, your, potentially saving or making a lot of money. Um, and there's other benefits too, right? Like you, you're getting your employees more engaged. Um, 
you're helping them learn something new. There's there's a lot of kind of advantages there too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting when you talk about that. Um, it's two points. Uh, like I'm reading um, Delivering Happiness by uh, Tony Shea. Oh, cool. Right now, have you read that? Yeah, yeah. I'm a huge Tony Shea fan. I was just in Vegas actually, and he's like completely rebuilding downtown Vegas. And there's uh, if you're in Vegas, um, you go to Old Vegas, which is like Fremont Street, and he has um, he owns a little uh, pub slash grill there called the Gold Spike. And mm. I went there to hang out with some startup people I know, and he was just at the table right next to me. Wow! No way! Yeah, and wow. I've I've gone for the Zappos tour as well. If you're ever in Vegas, oh, wow! They do. Uh, they do the Zappos tour. And, and so that was my question. Like, I, like I read that book and I'm like, man, it would be so easy to like, just for this all to be BS. Right. Cause you could write yes. anything. Yeah. And that place was the most genuine, uh, amazing place I've ever been in my life. Like the way that people treated each other, the way that, uh, they treated guests just, and the overall, just the tone, like you could just feel like there's something different about that place. Yeah, it's really, really cool. If you're if you're ever in Vegas, you can sign up for a tour there, and it's really incredible. Wow. So what do you think of his uh, bar and grill? I know uh, Chase Reeves in his blog post said he wasn't a, a huge fan. Yeah, they don't have they, – they, they need to improve their, uh, you know, maybe like their martini selection and some of their bartending, but – the, the idea of it is really cool. It kind of feels like a campus bar, like everyone in who's in technology uh, mm. in Vegas kind of hangs out there all day. Sure. They have really fast free Wi-Fi, which is in Vegas wow. is like gold. You can't yeah. you can't get Wi-Fi anywhere there. Oh, really? Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. Huh. And so like uh, and there's like startups and like people working there all day. So, yeah, it's a. It's a really cool place to kind of hang out, and um, yeah, I, and I was with him. That, I was just in Vegas with Chase. Um, we were on a podcast panel together. Oh, okay, all right. So, how how was that experience? Was that uh, NMX right? New Media mm-hmm. Expo. Yeah, yeah, it was weird. It's like a it was a completely different crowd than I hang out with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of like internet marketers. Um, a lot of focus on like affiliate marketing, um, that kind of thing, but really cool at the same time, like really neat to meet all those people, um, and, and just get their perspective and hear like how some of them are building businesses and, you know, what, how they think and their approach. It was, and it's also interesting, like hearing like who they look up to. So, um, like Pat Flynn is a, a pretty popular kind of leader in that community. Mm-hmm. And um, I hadn't really followed Pat much. I didn't, I kind of mm-hmm. knew who he was, but yeah. so I got to meet him and talk to him. And yeah, it was interesting just um, how you can, I mean, we're all like on the web, but these people were just in a, it's, it's like a completely different culture. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Huh. So, and I know um, your jfdi.bz that's um that's kind of like your yeah your, your bootstrapping solopreneur um platform yeah and uh, I know that Chase does Fizzle.co 
do you feel like there's a like a competition in that space between you two guys? That was kind of like the joke. The first night, we're all sitting in our hotel room, and um, and so Chase and Caleb run Fizzle.co. Nathan Barry was there, and he has his own community, and I was there. <laughs> and uh, and my joke was, well, we're all competitors here. This is hilarious, but you know. The one thing is like there's there's a lot of different room and uh, there, there's a lot of room for all sorts of different approaches mm-hmm. and um, you know my friend Brennan Dunn started a community too um, my friend Amy Hoy is going to be uh, starting well she's already she's done a lot of community building just through her conference and through her she has a a workshop series called Thirty by Five Hundred but she's going to be building more of a kind of ongoing community there. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of people that are doing s- something similar. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I think there's just, there's a lot of room for all sorts of different approaches and people doing uh, community differently. And I've had, you know, I've sent some folks over to, uh, for example, to Fizzle that I just thought would be a better fit over there. Oh, and uh, there's some folks that have joined JFDI that have come from other places and just like the approach that we have there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's uh, the whole idea is to help people, right? And so if um, if someone is going to be helped better somewhere else, then that that's fine. Yeah, well that's that's a great approach. That's a great approach. Yeah, um, you know, and I brought up um, the delivering happiness. Um, book. Yeah. Uh, Because one thing that he, Tony Shea, um, hammers home was don't outsource your core competency, Mm -hmm. which I really, I really like. And what's interesting is um, I work for a company. um, That's my main cash flow, but Mm -hmm. I'm a contractor. Mm -hmm. Um, But I found it interesting that I work in a group where the uh, project manager is also a contractor. Mm. So, um, you talking about, um, being the decision maker and having your team, you know, rally around a software and, and things mm-hmm. like that. And, and having the culture that, um, that Zappos has as their kind of their core competency. Mm. And I just realized that in the company that I'm contracting for, it's like, we don't have that because everyone's a contractor. Mm. So no, like there's no central, um, I wouldn't say core competency, but there's no central culture. There's mm-hmm. no rallying Rallying yeah. thing. And I yeah, thought that, that was really interesting. I was like, is this the future? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it can be challenged because I think a contractor could have a lot of ownership in a company, in a team. Um, I, I know a few, uh, like I know a guy here, sorry, not here, but in Edmonton that is uh, kind of a team leader for Ruby on Rails developers. Mm. And, um, you know, he'll go into a company and he'll be there, he might be there for, a couple of years, right? Leading oh. a team there. And so there could be a lot of buy-in, right? That, that you can, you could be a full-time contractor and be with a team for two years. And, um, you know, and maybe the whole point is that you're going to develop leaders so that, you know, when you leave, they can, they can kind of take over. Hmm. Um, but, and, and I mean, team dynamics are hard. In general, I think Tony's right, though. Like, you want to keep as much of that in-house as you can, um, especially like, you know, 
if you're building a technology, for example, like mm-hmm. it, it, it's as soon as you can, it's best for you to have someone that's either like full-time contracted with a kind of a long-term view. Like this person's going to be, I'm going to be working with this person forever. Like this relationship is going to be a long-term relationship or you actually bring that person in-house as an employee. Mm-hmm. Um, because if, if, if someone's building kind of your core technology, you want to make sure that they're going to be around for a while. Yeah. yeah. But, and, and the same goes like for Tony and Zappos. And I think a lot of companies, um, in a lot of cases, the, the customer support and service that you give is actually a big part of the product. And so, um, having that in house from people that are really, really buy into it, that you can, you can take care of those employees. You can empower them to make great decisions. Um, I think that's a big part of his point. Like they could have outsourced all of their customer support at Zappos, but that they would have lost out on all that value that, you know, all those folks give them because those people that work at the Zappos customer, like the call center, like they love working at Zappos. And, uh, when you call them, they're like, uh, excited to serve you and to help you and to do whatever it takes to, you know, make sure you have a great experience. Um, and that is hard to outsource, uh, unless again, I mean, you could potentially contract someone if you've built a good relationship and you said, you know, this is for a long time. I think it is possible to build those relationships, but that you definitely want them to feel like they're a part of the team that they've got, they're empowered to do great work. Um, you know, that they're not just like someone you're bringing in just, uh, you know, fill a space basically. Hmm. You know, I was just thinking that, um, you have an hour lunch break today. So where does this podcast fit in your schedule today? Yeah, I'm kind of just doing it during my break. Okay. You know, I just listened to the, your latest episode of product people with, uh, Nathan Barry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that guy a lot. He seems, he seems pretty solid, but, um, one thing that you guys both said is uh, um, you hate scheduling um, like interviews and stuff like that weeks ahead of time because <laughs> you get nervous and stuff like that. So let me just say that I'm sorry for scheduling this a few weeks ahead of time. <laughs> uh, I, I actually don't mind it. I think that the point that Nathan was making was that you, sometimes when you're contacting guests, there's different kinds of people like some and, it, and it, this could change for someone. That's the thing about like relating with human beings, right? Is that, you know, you could feel like, like, for example, right now is not, it's not an extremely busy time for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new year's just started. There's no big projects going on right now. Mm-hmm. And so I'm fairly relaxed right now. I, I feel like, oh yeah, you want to chat? I can chat. That's, yeah. that's fine. Um, but if it was like a crunch time and I've got a million things going on and, yeah. you know, my kids are all sick at home and, you know, when you get a request like that, there's like, you can't like in it reply back to someone, you can't like always communicate all that stuff. Right. right. Yes. And so that's what's challenging about this is that is is when you're like booking guests and things. Um, and then there's also personality, like some folks just love like booking things into the calendar and then, you know, OK, I'm going to have that, you know, in three weeks time, we'll be done. Um, and, uh, I think what Nathan was saying was like, man, like sometimes I just like it when like 
people say, hey, what are you doing today? Or you doing anything tomorrow? And it's just <laughs> yeah. a lot easier to be like, oh, yeah, yeah I'm, at this point, I'm not really doing anything. Yes. Whereas if you said like, you know, I'm going to we're going to book something next month. There's always kind of this like in your head. There's like, OK, I got to remember, you know, to mm-hmm. put that on my calendar. <laughs> and then I got to like remind yeah. myself. And I, I'm not sure where I am personally on that mm-hmm. scale. <laughs> yeah, maybe it changes. Maybe you're okay with it. Yeah, for right now. But then, as you said later on, maybe your personality will change. Speaking, yeah. Of, yeah speaking of personality, do you know what your uh, Myers Briggs personality type is? Do you ever think, do that? Yeah, I think when I last checked, I was an ENFP. Okay. Yeah. But that, it's honestly been a long time since I've. Since I've, I've filled that out. Um, yeah, yeah, ENFP, I think. Yes. Okay. Yep. So uh, that fits. Focused on relationships, uh, social. Uh, like I like to get involved in a broad range of things. Um, yeah, yeah. That that's probably that's probably me. Yeah. I've never been like a lot of people. This is actually something that comes up quite a bit with mm-hmm. me is um, a lot of Chase was actually just mentioning this. He said, you know, when I first heard about you, I thought you were a designer because I sometimes write about design. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my most popular essays is something called This is a Web Page. Mm-hmm. That's how I found out about you. OK, <laughs> um, but I've never considered myself to be a designer. Um, I design sometimes. I've designed things, mm-hmm. uh, but I've, I would never like say I'm a designer. And actually, um, for a lot of my career, like it's been hard for me to even self-identify. Like, what what am I? And the closest thing I can ever come to is I think I'm an entrepreneur. I I like uh, if an entrepreneur is someone who creates things and starts things and leads things. Um, that that's me. I, I've always been the kind of guy that likes to do that stuff. And I've always been into technology, but I wouldn't say like I'm a technologist or I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm definitely not a developer, you know, hmm. even though I can develop things. So like I, and I, I also, I don't like that term like generalist cause that maybe cause I'm a little bit insecure about that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like a generalist just sounds like, oh, you don't really, you don't really know anything really well, right? Um, and so I have moments of focus. Like this past year, I really wanted to learn about sales. Mm-hmm. I've always been interested in sales. Yeah. But I've I've never like, um, every time I've tried to get into sales and in whatever company I've been with, um, I've always been really good at managing people and processes. So I just end up getting put into those positions, but I've, I've always wanted to figure out like the sales process and to practice, um, selling. And, uh, so that was something I did this year on the side was I, I wanted to get really good at just practicing selling. And, uh, so I, I think maybe that is ENFP. I have moments where I'm just like, okay, I want to like go really deep on this mm-hmm. and like really try to like figure this part out. And, um, you know, and then, move on to something else after. Hmm. Did you do uh, Amy Hoy's 30 by 500? No, I never have. Oh, you never have. Okay. Never have. I've thought about I'm just curious about how she she teaches sales and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, her her basic approach, and it's it's similar to like 
some uh, approaches other people have advocated. So um, Derek Sivers, I don't know if you read any of his stuff. Yeah, big he's fan got, of his, yeah. Yeah, he's got a great blog at Sivers.org. And um, so Amy's approach and Derek's approach, uh, Seth Godin's approach is a people first type approach where you first identify who you're going to serve and then you figure out how you're going to serve them. Mm -hmm. Right. And once you've done that, it becomes a lot easier to uh, sell because you can figure out what their pain is and then you can sell directly to that pain. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that was kind of like, that was kind of the, what I wanted to practice this past year was, um, so one example was I, I had I have a podcast called Product People, um, and I used to publish every week, and now I'm going to publish probably every month or so. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I thought, you know, during that first year, I wanted to practice just like what would it take to sell some sponsorships on the podcast, mm. and um, you know, started with a sales letter to. Um, uh, Joe Stump at Sprintly. Mm. Um, we'd already been using his product at work, and I really liked it. I felt like uh, I could I could uh, talk about that product on my podcast and really believe in it. And so, yeah, I wrote him a sales letter, and um, he signed up. And then I took that same approach and tried it with cold leads and warm leads, and you know, all sorts of things in between. And uh, that whole experience was really interesting. Um, and if you look, I have a post on my blog called, um, the 2013 revenue stats I didn't want to share. Yeah. And, um, there's a spike in podcast sponsorship one month. I, we're not talking about a lot of money, but I went from like 500 to $1,500 and then back to $900 a month. Hmm. And that spike of $1,500 was when I was like, okay, I'm going to, this month I'm going to go out and get like three or four sponsors and went out and did that and just experience that whole thing. It was really interesting. So I realized I could sell people, like they all signed up, uh, but then I realized I'd, I actually didn't like the, the flip side of that, which was, um, y you know, when you, get, when you get more sponsors, especially like cold leads, they really want a certain return on investment right. or um, something, they have expectations on the flip side mm -hmm. that, uh, once I experienced it, like once I was there, I was like, oh, I actually don't like this as much <laughs> as I thought I would. Uh, and yeah, that was just the whole experience was helpful. Like it was helpful, like doing the sales part and like really getting that. And then also kind of experiencing the other part of this was like, oh, like once you make the sale, you've got to like live with a certain reality. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was helpful. Um, so and that was one of the reasons I. I uh, took a sabbatical from the podcast was I just felt like I didn't want to, uh, even though at the time I had two really good sponsors, I, I just felt like I was kind of didn't want to live with that reality anymore. Hmm. Wanted to uh, switch things up. Yeah. And so you've relaunched the podcast and uh, what's different now? Uh, I think a few things. One is I just realized why I want to do the show. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing I noticed is that a lot of the people that uh, interact with me a lot, so you know, people that'll like email me back when I send out a newsletter, uh, people that follow me on Twitter, 
uh, people that have bought my book or have joined GFDI, mm-hmm. a lot of those folks come have come from my podcast. And I also, during those two months I had off, I was just listening to different shows. Mm-hmm. And right now, one of my favorite shows is the Intellectual Radio Program, is it? Is it? Or Intellectual Radio Show. And it's just three guys, uh, Chris from Saskatchewan, uh, Adam from Tennessee, and then Tim from Minnesota, I think. Huh. And it, like... Like any show, like you start listening and you're kind of like, well, what's the deal? This is just a couple of guys talking. But when you can hear people like every week or every month or whatever it is, you start to develop a relationship with those people, even though it's one way, like you're just hearing them talk, but you get to know them and then you, you start to kind of enjoy that time with them every episode. So every episode you kind of listen and you're like, huh. And it's the same with your podcast, you know, people that are listening, it's like every Every episode, I get to hear Roger like talk, and I get to hear a little bit about his life. I get to, you know, and you get to know that person. And there's something powerful about that, I think, because there's a, a human connection there. Um, so, like, um, going back a little bit, like one reason people join JFDI is just because they've got some sort of relationship with me, and they feel like we're kind of walking along on the same journey together. And I realized I wanted to keep doing that. So in terms of what's different about the show, one is just this realization of why I want to do it. Uh, whereas initially, the, you know, I had three reasons I wanted to do the show. One, I just want to learn how to do a podcast. Two, there was a bunch of cool people I wanted to talk to. And three, I wanted to see if I could make money at it. Well, I accomplished those things. So now my objective is I really want to build a relationship with the audience um, the other thing I think that's changed is, uh, when you start a sh- something brand new, uh, you know, because it was brand new at it, you start with a certain kind of insecurity and maybe hesitancy and that tone kind of like carries itself through even like you want to change, but you're just kind of stuck in this pattern. And I, sometimes the show felt a little bit buttoned up to me and, um, there were some episodes where I just felt like I was just far following a, a formula. Mm-hmm. And because you also have advertisers and you're partly doing it for advertisers, um, now I feel like I have a lot more freedom to make, maybe make it a little bit more gritty, more honest, uh, less, you know, no bullshit. Just like, let's talk about some real issues here. Um, I'm trying to also not get through it as fast. So like ask a question, (coughs) sorry, Um, ask a question and instead of like moving on right away, so if someone like answers, kind of like think about it and go, well, let's dig into that a little bit. Like, what do you mean by that? Or is that really true? Like, I, you know, like maybe uh, push a little bit more and hopefully generate more kind of honest discussion, real Mm -hmm. discussion, um, not make it as scripted. Yeah. That's makes sense. And then I just look at the webpage. Yep. And you still have Sprintly as the sponsor. So they're still, they're still letting you, um, have that, that free reign. Well, I, I just put it, kept them on the website. Um, those guys were really good to me. So I, I feel like keeping a link to them on the website is, um, 
I might remove it eventually, but it's just more of a thank you for... I see. They, they were really committed. I, I don't promote them during the show anymore, though. Yeah, I, yeah, it's true. When I listened, I missed that. So I thought, and they're not, and they're not paying, me any, paying me anymore. So. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> So, so is the, um, do you hope to make money from your podcast or is it now just another creative outlet for you? I think, uh, I'm going to promote my own products Mm -hmm. on it. Uh, so, um, you know, like I, I've, I've advertised my book on it. I've advertised GFDI on it Mm -hmm. and it's more of like, you know, if you kind of like where the show's going uh, and you identify with it, here are some other yeah. resources that are going to be helpful for you. Yes. And I might consider like doing one-time uh, sponsorships for, um, you know, if if someone came to me with a product that I, I really felt would be helpful for the audience, um, you know, I'd be willing to do that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, not on a monthly basis. I had it on a recurring monthly basis. So instead of people booking slots, I just said, you know, it's $500 a month for one slot Mm -hmm. and you get four episodes. Um, and then I, the idea was that I would eventually have, you know, two sponsors that would just be continual Mm -hmm. that you could Uh, rotate through. Yeah. Like that. Well, when I had, I had two sponsors, I just promoted those two every show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was just easy like that, you know, so I, when I canceled those contracts, that was about $10,000 booked for the next year. Right. Wow. Um, but the, for me, I just felt like, you know, it, it wasn't worth it to have sponsors if I felt like this obligation to do stuff. And I just wanted the freedom to, in my case, I think when you start a show, you have to do it pretty regularly and maybe do it every week. But at the position I'm at now, I, I did a year's worth of shows. And I think now I have a bit more freedom to just put out a show whenever, whenever, <laughs> whenever I feel like it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. Okay. And, uh, last thing I wanted to uh, ask you about was, um, have you, uh, seen, uh, convos with my two year now three year old, the YouTube show? No. Oh, okay. I just wondered about that. Cause, uh, the, they're based out of Vancouver and, um, just wondered what you thought. Oh yeah, yeah, I have seen those. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those, those are super funny. Yes, I love stuff like that. There's the other one. My kids love those ones where they, um, they have kids dubbing over, um, adult actors that are acting out those scenes. Uh, I can't remember what that's called now, but they're these hilarious skits where basically adults are acting out. Uh, they've recorded kids playing in a certain situation. So maybe they're playing like, you know, drive-through restaurant, and then they uh, they basically uh, have adult actors, uh, you know, vo- oh, voice. Oh, I get those it. Things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> lip syncing the. Yeah, lip syncing. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it, hilarious. I gotta look yeah, that up. It's really funny. I gotta. F- I'll find the link. But yeah, yeah. I love stuff like that. The. I actually any comedy with kids. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of Louis C.K. Yeah, yes. And there's like something about like, because being a parent is nuts, right? There's yeah. there's, um, and there's like kind of two ways to approach it. There's like the 
kind of like shiny, always happy, you know, parenting magazine approach where, you know, everything's perfect and, you know, life is grand. Uh, But I think everyone needs like to laugh at, uh, you know, the real like nitty gritty real life. This, you know, this is what happens on a daily basis. Yeah, this (laughs) sucks kind of stuff. And um, yeah, stuff like Louis C.K. That conversations with two-year-old is like that too because it's like, you know, sometimes my kid is a jerk, you know, yeah. like I, I, and you just, we got to get that out of our system and, and laugh about that a bit. And I think it, it almost helps me enjoy parenting more, uh, when I can laugh at those situations and kind of like just let that out. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, one thing that I always like to ask my guests is what do you hope to instill in your kids with what you're, with what you're doing with your what you're doing with your life kind of example do you hope to set? Yeah. You know, I think about this, I've been thinking about this quite a bit. I, it is, it's challenging, right? Because there's like the, especially, uh, as you have more kids. So once you, when, when you have, (laughs) when I had one kid, it was a lot easier to (laughs) like focus and like Mm -hmm. think about like, okay, what kinds of things do I want to instill in these kids? Uh, when you have four, you, there's just a lot less time. Your, your, your attention is divided. But one thing I've been thinking about a lot is just encouraging them to, um, you know, to be creative, encouraging them to be entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. encouraging them to, um, you know, be adventurous. Uh, and so when we're like, sometimes we're talking about, you know, um, you know, like Minecraft or something like that. And like, uh, if they've built something really creative, just like encouraging them in that, like, wow, that's a really interesting, you know, thing that you did there. Uh, encouraging them to learn skills like HTML, um, encouraging them like when they, one thing we don't give our kids an allowance. Um, but if they want to like earn some money, they can come and pitch me on an idea. Hmm. And my my second oldest especially is like a genius at this because he will like he gets something in his head and he'll like pitch relentlessly like dad I'll vacuum the stairs for a dollar or and then we like negotiate back and forth you know um, you know um, so I I like that where instead of just like kind of training him to like because an allowance is kind of like a salary, right? Like you're just getting this thing every week or every month. But I like this idea of like, no, I'm going to hustle for this. I'm going to like, I'm going to pitch dad on a project. And, you know, um, it also gets back to what people need. Like my son could say, Hey dad, I'll, I'll shovel the driveway if you give me $5. And I could be like, well, I already planned on doing that today. I don't really need that, but I do need somebody to unload the dishwasher um, so that it, it shows like you, you can't just like pitch someone and get, you know, on something if they don't need it, uh, you have to actually pitch them on something they need. You have to, you have to, uh, fill a need that they have. Uh, so that's been actually working for us really well. I like that. I like that, uh, that idea of them doing that. And I also try to give them a, an idea of, um, how they could, you know, 
build their own products. Hmm. Um, and we, we haven't done anything yet, but I, I keep giving them ideas of, you know, like I wrote this book and, you know, I'll, I'll like share that at the dinner table. You know, I wrote this book and I, I built up a list of people that were interested in it and then I finished it and I told them about it. So that's kind of like the narrative we have um, at our house and uh, hope, I mean, you never know. I hope, hopefully that's helpful. But I remember growing up, like that was, um, my dad was always like sharing like different like projects he was doing and, you know, he was, he worked for a nonprofit organization and he was like always like, here's how we like, raise money and do all this stuff. And I, I um, always felt like that was helpful, you know, and in, in kind of giving me an idea of how things worked. Hmm. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, I was wondering about uh, what, what your dad instilled in you. Yeah, he was very entrepreneurial. Like, okay. again, like, all, he worked full time his whole life, but within that role was, you know, um, a really kind of creative entrepreneurial type person and, um, and on this always had side projects. Like he was, um, you know, he would buy and sell real estate and buy and sell stocks and, and things like that. And was always kind of sharing that with the, the family. Like, here's what we're doing, you know, here's how we did this. Like, um, we had some land that we inherited and he said, you know, I'm going to sell this land and then I'm going to buy a couple condos downtown and then I'm going to rent them out. And then, you know, five years later, he sold them. And just like sharing that whole process and giving us a picture of how that worked was, uh, for me anyways, really helpful. And we've all ended up being quite uh, kind of entrepreneurial like that. Wow. That's great. That's a great story. <coughs> that sounds like a good post. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should talk about that. Yeah. Absolutely. That there's a great uh, talk. Um, I can I can send this to you. You might have already seen it. Um, it's called. Uh, hold on. There's a TED X Cameron Harold. There we go. Uh, Let's raise kids to be entrepreneurs. Uh, great talk on that on that whole subject of how to like instill kind of an entrepreneurial spirit in your kids. Mm-hmm. You're going to create a lemonade stand, dang it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and actually, that's a good point. Like, whenever my kids talk about lemonade stands, I'm always like, yeah, that, that'd be interesting. But, like, I want them to actually, like, go through the process. And I go, you know, here's, like, what the ingredients would cost. Here's what your time is going to be. And sometimes I go, you know, it'd probably be more... <laughs> it'd probably be better for you to just shovel the driveway <laughs> and make five bucks. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. uh, with all the work you're going to put into the lemonade stand. Um, it doesn't scale. <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't scale. And there's also like part of being entrepreneurial is not following what's always been done. Right. And so uh, helping, I think, our kids and even ourselves, like teaching ourselves to not just keep following and doing what everyone else is doing. Yeah. But looking for, you know, no one else is, um, what's something I, I was thinking about? Like, I think there's not very many people um, that are, in in this case, talking to web development teams and software teams, um, specifically about, like, leadership. 
and so there's an opportunity there um, where there's a lot of people talking about, uh, what's a good example, SEO, like tons of people talking about search engine optimization, right? Right. Um, so I could go and become an SEO expert, but it, you know, I, that's, I'd be one out of, you know, thousands and thousands of people in that sphere. Right. But in terms of like software leadership for software teams, um, there's not as many people talking in that sphere. Right. Mm. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, the lemonade example is a good one of that. Like, yeah, you could go do that, but there's, everyone's doing that. Let's, let's think about something else that not everyone's doing. You know, there's not that many 11-year-olds building websites. Um, that That's an interesting angle, you know? Yes, absolutely. Interesting. Huh. So um, can you give us any preview as to what your new book's going to be about? Yeah, right now I'm writing a book on basically using email, um, building up an email list for your business. And so how you do that, I think email is the best channel for uh, building an audience for doing market research and then for actually selling a product mm -hmm. and um it's also the best tool if you're if you're into like seth godin's approach for uh of relationship marketing right i think it's the best channel for that mm -hmm. so uh and that's this is an idea i validated by talking to people asking questions on twitter i have a free email course at justinjackson.ca slash 1000. And that's like the word 1000. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, there's been a lot of people that have gone through that and really appreciated it and then wanted more. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm writing right now is a, a book on basically how to how to build an email list for your business. Hmm. And that's that's really kind of more B2C. Does it work in B2B? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's... Uh, I mean, uh, in a lot of ways, I would say my list right now is B2B, even though it's, it's B2B for solo founders, which is, you know, has that one challenge we talked about earlier. Um, but I'm building a, a, a mailing list for uh, teambits.io right now. Yeah. And uh, so it's just started. I think I've got 30 subscribers or something like that. Um, but I'm going to, you know, gradually build that up. Um, and I'm hoping to, by the end of 2014, hit, uh, I'm hoping to hit about a thousand subscribers, at least on that list. Hmm. And, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Pe the, the one place where people read email is at work. So if you have True. their work email address, um, that's a great place to talk to them. And again, a lot of those folks, uh, have a company credit card or know the person with the company credit card. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity to, uh, if you're selling products, to offer um, help and value to people through something like an email newsletter, mm. and then uh, eventually say, you know, you can um, get a product that will take you to the next level, uh, no matter what that is. If it's like, you know, designing mock-ups in Photoshop, or improving your team's performance, or, you know, here's an actual technical manual on you know electrical engineering there's there's all sorts of things that you can offer a business that um you know in terms of like their overall like uh, even if you had like a some sort of educational product that was three hundred dollars three hundred dollars for a lot of companies is not even uh you know the the magic number is usually about five hundred 
Because if a salesperson takes a bunch of people out for lunch, that might cost them about 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's that's the that's usually like the starting limit on most people's corporate cards is a $500 limit. And then it goes up from there. Some people have a $1,500, $5,000, $6,000 limit. But $500, like anything under $500, uh, people usually don't even need to get approval for. So mm. that's kind of like the magic number. Oh, that's, that's good to know. All right. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool, man. Well, good luck with that. And yeah, um, yeah. So there's going to be tons of show notes on this <laughs> on this episode, which I'm really excited about. Cool. Yeah. Did I give you enough links there? I, I think. Oh I, God. I, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think I sent you everything that I talked about. Yeah. Including all of the stuff that you're doing with uh, um, JFDI. Yeah. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Things like that. Yeah. I, I really cool. like the JFDI community. I thought it was awesome. I just cool. all the people in there were just so cool and so helpful. But then it was just um, I just started a, a new job around that town around that time. And then I was like, well, I don't I don't have time to take advantage of it. So I, I yeah, I realized yeah. I had to. <laughs> yeah, no, that's I mean, that's the other thing about a community is it's fairly fluid. Yes. And I think like right now we've got just over 100 members and 100 feels like for now feels like a good kind of magic number. Yeah. And uh, what we're focusing on now is how can we actually get people to do stuff? Yes. And so we've been doing these week of hustles where yeah. we we set out this time. And every day that week, I send out an email in the morning. And then we report back in the forums in the, in the evening about what did we actually accomplish that day. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to keep working on ideas like that. Uh, I you know, the idea of like setting aside some time and really just hustling for that week or that day or that weekend and, um, actually getting something done, not thinking about it, not dreaming about it, not procrastinating about it, but actually, you know, putting pen to paper and getting it done. Yes. And, um, that's why I think people that are hustling on the side, like dads that are hustling on the side, I think we can accomplish a lot with an hour or, you know, um, working after the kids go to bed, it all depends on what, like, are you actually accomplishing anything? Like at the end of the night, did you, do you have two or three pages of your book written or three or four pages of code written or, you know, what is the, what did you actually create that day? Um, and so, yeah, we've been enjoying that kind of focus. Yes. Getting stuff done (laughs) right on. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, thanks so much for having me on the show. I really enjoyed uh, chatting. It, it's uh, what I love about conversations like this is there's actually a lot of value for both of us, right? Where right. we get to engage in this thing. I get to talk out some things that have just been in my head and yeah. have actually ne- never been expressed. And uh, having a back and forth is so helpful. So yeah, thanks for uh inviting me to be on the show. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Justin, for agreeing to do it and taking the time out of your uh, crazy, hectic life. (laughs) Really appreciate it. Yeah. No problem, man. All right. Take care. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks again to Justin Jackson for that terrific interview. Check out the show notes for links about all the things that we talked about in the show including Justin Jackson's projects that he's working on. 
you're so inclined, please leave a review on iTunes. And if you have feedback for the show, including what you like, what you don't like, and suggestions for future guests, you can contact me on Facebook and Twitter. And we'll see you next time on Dadverb. Verb. <laughs>